Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I spoke about two specific passages where our God explained that the subject of sin was very important. In Daniel chapter 9, he explained that there would be a Messiah and that this Messiah would resolve the issue of sin, sin between us and our God. He explained that there would be an everlasting righteousness that the Messiah would establish, that these were two very important things that needed to be resolved, and the Messiah would resolve these things, among others, of course, but that this is a start, this is a good beginning, and God gave the time period when the Messiah would arrive. He explained that to Daniel. And in the previous program, I explained that there's only one person during that time period that already came and went who could possibly qualify as a person who would resolve these issues, the issue of sin, the issue of everlasting righteousness. I also explained Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, where God stated that he would establish a new covenant, and it would be established because he would remember our sins no more, because he would resolve the issue of sin. Now, I have found, when having conversations with people who are Jewish, and this program is a program that is presented to both a Christian and a Jew who does not believe in Jesus, I'm speaking to both groups simultaneously, I have found that in most cases, when I have conversations with Jews, they are very clear about the fact that they do not care about the issue of sin, and they do not care about the issue of righteousness, that sin and righteousness have no importance to them at all. What a person needs to understand is that from God's point of view, as far as God is concerned, to him, these issues are very important. And you need to accept the reality that if there is a God, and he says that there is something that is important, What he thinks really does matter. And if you don't think it's important, if you don't think sin is important and righteousness is important, then you have a problem, not God, but you do. And I want you to understand that this is something that you have to deal with, that you have to address. And if you don't do it between now and the day when you physically die, and God says that he is no longer going to allow you to be a participant in this world that he created, you are going to be confronted with this. There will be a conversation. And at that time, you will find out for sure that what he thinks really does matter. Better to resolve this right away because there is so much, so much more 
to move into, to go on into. There is so much opportunity about knowing your God between now and then that you will not have afterwards. And so please do take this subject seriously. Now, in the law, the law that God gave through Moses, our God explained in detail that sin is a serious matter and that a sacrifice is required in order to provide two things. The first thing is atonement. And atonement is a covering over sin. It does not resolve sin. It just covers it over and effectively memorializes the sin, makes it into something that is to be remembered. But with all the sacrifices that God declared that the children of Israel were to do in response to sin, he always added to the subject of atonement the fact that these sins are going to be memorialized, they're going to be remembered. That's what the word atonement really means. He also said, in addition to that, that the sins would be forgiven. He described it in the future. He said they will be atoned for and they will be forgiven. But forgiveness was something that would take place at a later date. And as he explained in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, as he said, the Messiah would be the one to resolve this. The only way that this can be resolved is through a sacrifice. There must be death. That is the severity of sin. Sin is very serious. And according to God's declaration, as he has explained many times over, especially through the law, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so the Messiah would die for the sins of the entire world. That is what God set up. That's what he established as a way of resolving sins. However, there are some very important issues that need to be considered if we are to consider Jesus as being a sacrifice for the sins of the world. The first issue that I believe needs to be addressed, that I had to address myself, is the issue of Is this a human sacrifice? Because if this is a human sacrifice, from what I can tell in the law, that would be totally unacceptable. It is unacceptable for a person to die for the sins of somebody else. That's a violation of the law of Moses as well. And so we cannot accept a human sacrifice No one can die or suffer for the sins of another. If Jesus is the sacrifice for the sins of the world, there's only one way that this can be possible. There's only one way that this could potentially take place. And that would be if Jesus was not a human. If he was not a person like we are a person. He would have to be someone else. Who could he be? Well, as I showed in the previous program that beginning in Daniel chapter 9, we can look at some of the words that our God used and use that as a way of searching for parallel passages in the scriptures where he has said similar things. 
So also there is an opportunity here. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 25, he spoke of the Messiah as being a prince, one who would be his representative in the sense of someone who would speak on his behalf. I explained that briefly in the translation that I made, that I rendered of that verse from Hebrew. And what if that effectively means as this being the coming prince, this being a person who is a representative of God who's going to speak the truth of God? That was how he described the Messiah there in Daniel chapter 9. There are other passages that are similar to that. And the one that I turned to next as I was pursuing an understanding of the Messiah, the one that I turned to next that was similar to that one when it came to the subject of our Messiah being a prince was found in Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 6, there is a passage that does relate to this well enough that I believe it is important, and for me it was an important piece that fit very well into this topic, into this issue. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 5, and I'm reading from the Jewish Publication Society's translation from Hebrew into English, it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5, it says, For a child is born unto us, a son is given unto us, and the government is upon his shoulder. And his name is called... All right, now this is very interesting. They don't translate it. They give a transliteration of the Hebrew. And then in verse 6, it says that the government may be increased and of peace there be no end. All right? Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it through justice and through righteousness. This is verse 6. And henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts doth perform this. All right. Now, remember what I explained in the first programs in this series, that when it comes to a lot of discussions that we have within Judaism, there is a lot of dishonesty. And it has to do with the fact that people are just trying to make sure that a Jew does not become a Christian. Because if you're going to argue the subject from the perspective of what is true or what is not true, well, then it's very easy to lose the argument because there is more than enough truth to show that Jesus is the Messiah. And in this text that I am reading to you, if you could see it, I, I would show it to you. It's in the Jewish Publication Society's rendition of the Holy Scriptures, and this has a copyright of 1917 and 1945 by the Jewish Publication Society of America, all rights reserved. Here, they did not translate verse 5. This should tell you, I mean, it should tell you that this is an expression of dishonesty. And I'm not wanting to point this out in order to say that everything that they might say is considered to be dishonest. I'm just trying to show you that this is the desperation that most of the people who have been in the recognized leadership of Judaism 
since the time of Christ have gone through extensive lengths to include being dishonest to try to keep people from believing who the Messiah really is. Now, I have done a translation of this section in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which which really is verse 5. And so I have these verses a little bit skewed in, in the translation that I have done from Hebrew. And again, if you don't like my translation of this into English, then by all means, do your own. And you will find that it will be quite similar, I'm sure, to what it is that I have done here. What this really says is, For a child was born for us, a son was given for us, the discriminating governance is on his shoulder, and he called his name Wonderful of Counseling, Mighty God, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. Where it says Prince of Peace, that was my connection personally for myself with Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 25, as it relates to this, and that the Messiah would be the mighty God himself. And there's there's no question about this. If you read if you read this in Hebrew, that's exactly what it says. Father of eternity. Continuing into the next verse, for the increase of the discriminating governance and for peace, there is no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it in justice and righteousness from now and eternally forever. The zeal of Hashem of hosts will accomplish this. Hashem, I, I put that word in there in order to describe the actual name of God that I've just simply used that word, which is Hebrew for the name, in order to remind me that that was the word that was used. All right, so who is this person? He is not, who is the Messiah? He is not a person like us who would be described as a human sacrifice because it is the mighty God himself the Father of Eternity, the Everlasting Father. He is the one who is coming to establish everlasting righteousness. He is the Prince of Peace. He is all of that, as was described and initially recognized as the Messiah, the way that the angel presented him to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, or 6 and 7, depending upon how you how you describe the verses, it's, it's fine. It's the same area in the scriptures in Isaiah chapter 9. Here I can say with great confidence that the Messiah is God himself personally. That Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. That our God decided to come and dwell among us as a person. And he took upon himself flesh, just like we have flesh. And he lived a life all the way from the womb to the tomb, from a little baby all the way to an adult. He lived with us. He worked with us. He participated with us. But it was God himself. And he did this. He actually did this. And he himself is our Messiah. Now, I certainly don't say that there is a man who is God. I don't believe that at all. I believe there is a God who decided to dwell among us as a man and be our Messiah personally. 
He gave his life for us, and his life was not a human sacrifice. It was a way that he said that he would resolve the issue of sin, because he's the one who has been violated. This is his world. It is his planet. He is the one who has officially been violated by our sins, and he has decided to no longer hold our sins against us anymore by taking the punishment effectively upon himself as an abstract way of recognizing that he's no longer going to require us to do something in order to resolve sin, that because he is the one who has been violated, he is the one who will resolve it, and he did so in this way, so that he could say that the issue is over, and so that he can also establish a form of righteousness that is obtained not by our obedience to his law, but in another way, because of what he has accomplished for us. So we have a God who did this, who is our Messiah. Now, when having conversations with a lot of Jews, a lot of rabbis over the years, an important issue comes up, such as, how could God ever do that? How could it be possible? Well, for a person to say that tells me that they have no idea about who our God is and what he's already done. Consider Abraham. What about Abraham? Most people don't even bother to learn about Abraham. They don't know anything about him, except what somebody may have told them. What happened with Abraham just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? God visited Abraham. God went to go see Abraham. You read it. You read it for yourself, and you read it in Hebrew. It says clearly that this was God manifested in the flesh who came and spoke with Abraham, sat down with him, talked with him, ate with him, and continued a conversation afterwards while he sent some angels to go into Sodom and Gomorrah and investigate what was going on. It was God manifested in the flesh right there, dwelling with Abraham. And God did so in such a way that his wife Sarah, Abraham's wife Sarah, did not recognize him as God. And so if he did that in a way that Abraham saw him as God, but Sarah didn't see him as God, why would it be so surprising to discover that God did it again and did it as the Lord Jesus in a way that most everyone did not recognize him for who he was, just as Sarah didn't recognize him for who he was when he was there? You know, when he says things like, Sarah is going to have a son, and she laughs. She laughs. And he and he asks, well, why are you laughing? And she says, I wasn't laughing. Do you think she would say things like that if she knew that that was God himself right there? Not at all. And so when I say that our God is our Messiah, and that he came and he died on our behalf, he came to live a life with us, and he died in the crucifixion as he did, and that would have happened no matter what. That happened in the way that he did because the religious leaders at that time made false accusations against him and brought him before the Roman government and the Roman government crucified him. But even if the people accepted him as the king, then the Romans would have seen that as an act of sedition and they would have killed him the same way anyway. 
And so either way, this death was going to take place. There was no stopping it. And then he rose from the dead because he is God. He can do that. So it wasn't a human sacrifice. It was the giving of himself to resolve the sin of humanity to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. That's what he did. Now, in the law, we do have more to go on that will take me into the next passage, passages in the scriptures that I want to refer to. In Leviticus, in the law, Leviticus chapter 17, and I'm going to start in verse 10. It's really in verse 11, though. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10, in the Jewish Publication Society's translation of this, it says, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or the strangers that sojourn among them, that eateth any manner of blood, I will set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. Verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement by reason of the life. All right. And a better rendition of this, to make it a little bit more clear, is that by means of life means that it is the life in the blood that makes the atonement. But just as the life in the blood, the life in the blood of the sacrifice on the altars made for the atonement for sins, which was just a temporary covering until a future date when the Messiah would resolve them. The life in the animals provided for that. So also the life of God provided for reconciliation, a complete resolution to the subject of sin. It was the life of God that provided for that through the sacrifice that he made. Now, I'm not saying that to say that God died, that he died in a spiritual sense. I certainly do not believe that. I'm explaining this, that this is the abstraction that our God has described so that we can have an understanding of the fact that the entire sin issue was simply resolved and that it was his life that really made for the forgiveness and that his life is not a human life. And I will come back to this subject in the next program. But for the remainder of this one, I'd like to instead turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, and I will again read from the Jewish Publication Society's translation of what Isaiah said to us, and this is also related to what Daniel reported to us concerning what God told Daniel. In Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 1, Who would have believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shot up right forth as a sapling, and as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form nor comeliness that we should look upon him, nor beauty that we should delight in him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of pains and acquainted with disease, and as one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our diseases he did bear and our pains he carried. Whereas we did esteem him stricken, 
smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded because of our transgressions. Again in verse 5, but he was wounded because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement of our welfare was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep did go astray. We turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath made to light on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, though he humbled himself, and opened not his mouth, as a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and as a sheep that before her shearers is dumb. Yea, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and with his generation, who did reason? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Do you see this? It's all over the place with regards to sin, iniquities, transgressions. It's the same person, and this is a description of how he resolved sin. This was not a human sacrifice. Read Isaiah 53 for yourself. Thank you for listening. In this program, I spoke about Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5, I showed the the unusual occurrence that in the translation that was presented for Jews, that part of the verse was not translated in order to hide the truth about the identity of our God and as it is connected with Daniel chapter 9, the identity of the Messiah. I explained that it is not appropriate, it is against the law of God for there to be a human sacrifice, and that in Isaiah chapter 53, the description of a person suffering for the sins of others would require that Isaiah chapter 53 speak of the Messiah and that the Messiah would have to be God manifested in the flesh. And I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,